0: Welcome to the Common Ground Unity Podcast, where we have great conversations with unity-minded Christians. Our goal is to encourage unity of the spirit within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. We believe unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and join us as we seek to fulfill Jesus's prayer that we may all be one. And now, here are your co-hosts, Megan Rollins and Kevin Witham.
1: Hello and welcome to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. I'm your co-host, Megan Rawlings, joined by my co-host,
2: Kevin Witham. Megan, it is so good to be back with you for our Common Grounds Unity podcast. And I'm very excited about our guest today. I've been reading uh, books by our guest today for much of my ministry and his latest book uh, is one that is not only worth well worth your time, uh, but one that that really is so appropriate to this whole podcast and our common ground unity uh, movement that's underway. Our guest is Douglas Foster. And Dr. Foster served as professor of church history and the director of the Center for Restoration Studies at Abilene Christian University for 27 years. And now he is uh, serving at ACU as scholar in residence. He co-edited the Encyclopedia of the Stone-Campbell Movement and the Stone-Campbell Movement, A Global History. And I've got a number of his books on my shelves. Uh, If you just Google Douglas Foster and books by Douglas Foster, uh, a list will come up and they're well worth your time. But his latest book is A Life of Alexander Campbell. It's published on Erdman's, and it is a fresh look, uh, a biography of Alexander Campbell. And this is all about folks in the Stone Campbell movement. So, uh, Doug Foster, welcome to our podcast. We're
3: so glad to have you with us. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to, to being able to have this conversation for some time.
1: Awesome. Now, Kevin, I heard you say you have quite a few, but I have all of them. So, <laughs> not to not to be a one upper, but I'm one upping you on that one.
2: Well, I think I may too, but I, we're not going to get into debate there. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. Hey, listen, Doctor Foster, can you just share a little bit about your life and ministry and spiritual journey? Like, tell me your Jesus moment where you where you mm. came to faith.
3: Wow, that's a that's a a great question and it could be answered I guess in a lot of different ways but we don't have unlimited time here right so let me just give a, a brief overview of some things I was born in Northwest Alabama fifth generation member of churches of Christ Stone Campbell churches and um, you know the first Sunday after I was born I was in church and was there every every time the doors were open and it was a Powerful forming thing. All of my family were part of that church. My grandparents, both sides, uncles, aunts, uh, etc. And so that's uh, that's the context that I grew up in, as far as the early faith formation and seeing people who cared about each other and who would minister to each other and it would be in their homes when people were sick and visit them at the funeral home when loved ones had passed away. Just being impressed with that kind of tight-knit caring for one another, that love for one another. I think that it was also, there's always a mixed bag, I guess you could say. There was a lot of um, impression that I received, at least, that the main thing was about getting everything right intellectually and doing and saying the right things, that that was the point of true Christianity. And obviously those things are important. We want to do what's right, right? We want to do what God wants us to do. We want to be immersed in the scriptures and to understand the scriptures. But I think there was also a a kind of a burden on my shoulders for a long time that I have to get it all right in order to be right with God, that I have to have things figured out and to do and say the right things uh, perfectly all the time, or I'm not in in a right relationship with God. And I think uh, it was really interesting. I went on to university in Nashville, Tennessee. I I grew up in Florence, uh, Tuscumbia, Alabama, actually, but it's the Quad Cities area. Florence, Sheffield, Muscle Shoals, Tuscumbia, right all there together. I was in Tuscumbia, but I went to school at Mars Hill Bible School for 12 years in Florence, Alabama, and had some of the most godly people as teachers who were extremely formative. And I went from there to Lipscomb University in Nashville, and after finishing there, I became a youth minister for a church there in Nashville, the Jackson Park Church of Christ and was the, uh, I was associate minister, but I also did a lot of work with the youth. I functioned part of the time as youth minister as well. And we took a group of students to, uh, I don't know, there kind of there was a trend at certain periods of time. Instead of saying we're going on a retreat, they said, we're going on an advance. So they had this youth advance in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, youth groups from Churches of Christ all over really came from the southeast, and a lot of folks were there, and and there was one of the speakers who was there that really, I think, just sort of clicked something in my head that was so powerful, and and it, it still comes to me even today. he was was talking about that passage of Scripture that John says that if you walk in the light as he is in the light, then his blood continually is cleansing you of sins. And he says, um, you know, walking in the light, apparently you still have sins to be forgiven. In other words, you're not perfect, but you're walking in the light. And God's mercy and love, because you were trying You are in the light. You are walking in the light. That blood of Christ continues to cleanse you constantly and continually. It was the first time I'd ever heard anything like this, and I literally felt like a burden had been lifted off my shoulders. And I felt maybe um, because of some bad impressions that I had or some bad understandings that I had, I felt for the first time a deeper sense of God's love and Christ's love. I was already a Christian when I had that that realization, but what a what a gift of joy and a gift of release from that oppressive sense that I had to be perfect, that it was up to me to get it all right, that this was something that was really and truly my doing, and uh, and really turned it around to see that it's the love of Christ, the action of Christ, that is so important. And so. I, I went on and, and continued there at the church. I, I did a master's degree in theology at a school in Nashville called Skerritt. And there I met people from other religious bodies that I had not been exposed to before. My My, uh, my upbringing was pretty narrowly focused in churches of Christ. And so for the first time, I'm with other people from other Christian traditions who who clearly reflect uh the attitude of Christ, the face of Christ in their lives. And that made another major impression in my life. And that's where I really began to think in terms of understanding the nature of the unity of Christ's church. Um, I went on to do a Ph.D. in church history at Vanderbilt, and I did my dissertation on the period of division of the Restoration Movement. It's, it was actually titled The Struggle for Unity during the period of division in the American Restoration Movement, 1875 to 1900. And I looked at several major key players and their thoughts about what the unity of the church was, what the nature of the church was. And that was really, really important for me. And it became sort of a passion for me, that idea of Christian unity and how important it was for our Stone Campbell tradition and um, even though different people in that movement had different ideas about what precisely unity meant, it was something that was very central to who we were. And so that was a major piece also. I went on to to teach at Lipscomb University for a period of time and then came to Abilene Christian in 1991 and then uh, have been writing and speaking about these things for, for that period of time. So that's a, a brief faith story, faith journey, I guess you might say, an academic journey?
2: Doug, that is a a powerful testimony because I I think it probably speaks to many in uh, our audience of listeners who uh, come from Stone Campbell churches. It sure speaks to me. Uh, It's a similar experience growing up. Um, My religious faith was very much centered around uh, getting things right, being correct, um, sound doctrine. And when you discover that it's about what Christ has done and not what we do, boy, it's just everything changes from that point forward. So what a, what a powerful uh, testimony. And I always love to speak to scholars who have such a love for the church and look back and see how they were formed mm. by loving godly people. So, boy, thanks for sharing that. Um, you recently wrote a biography of Alexander Campbell, as I mentioned. As a matter of fact, I'm holding it in my hands. I hope our listeners will uh, buy a copy. And you didn't ask us to say that, but I, I sure hope that people will. Uh, it is a, a fascinating read and such a fresh look uh, for me. Your book, it addresses both strengths and weaknesses. So let's take a couple of moments and talk about both. What, what strengths do you find in Campbell? Um, that, that have really helped to shape our movement in constructive ways, and positive
3: ways. Yeah, I, I, um, I thought a lot about the terminology that we uh, generally use, and, it, and it's perfectly good terminology. I'm not trying to crit- criticize that at all. But, you know, um, what happens almost, almost universally is that our greatest strengths become the areas of our greatest temptation. In other words, our greatest strengths sometimes <laughs> turn into our greatest weaknesses. And that may sound strange, but that's where I think we are most tempted. Those areas that we are we're strong in and we because we're human, I suppose, we tend to elevate our own understandings, our own abilities, our own accomplishments. And sometimes that then throws it all out of out of whack. I think that that Campbell's deep commitment to the unity of Christ's church, as I just mentioned a minute ago, is one of the most important pieces of his his vision for the church, his theological understandings, his his commitment to Christ. Um, I think that That is probably, for me, one of the the most exciting, one of the most exhilarating parts of his ministry and thought. I'm going to have to jump over there to say that that becomes, I think, one of his areas of greatest temptation, too, because, and I'll have, this may sound a little convoluted, but He knows better, but he comes across and he says it very clearly in some cases that just like what we said a minute ago, the way that you get all Christians united, the way you come to the visible unity of Christ's church is for everyone to come to the conclusions. I'll have to say it in the worst possible way here, to the conclusions that he has come to, (laughs) because those are the right conclusions, right? Now, and I understand that, that you know, when people have thought about it and studied it and, and, and seriously and carefully and prayerfully come to conclusions, they don't just toss those aside. They don't think, well, I'm wrong. That's, that's There's a reason for believing that you, you've come to the right conclusion. But I think that that, that reveals an underlying problem. And that is that it's all about our coming to the right conclusions. It is all about our intellectual activity. It is all about our wrapping our heads around, mastering the facts of Scripture. And instead of focusing on, the fact is, it's all about the work that Christ has done. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that it doesn't make any difference what you believe. That's not true. I'm not saying that it doesn't make any difference what you practice or or say. That's not true. What I'm saying is that all of those things, that is, the serious study, the grappling with theological concepts, the struggling to understand what is right and to do what is right, all of that is part of the process, I believe, through which God's spirit is forming us more into the image of Christ. And that's the point, being formed into the image of Christ. That's what it's about. And so Campbell, I think, knew that in his best moments. And that's another thing that I would say, I I really am thrilled sometimes when I read what Campbell says. Um, In the book, there's a, there's a, there's, there's quite a lot, actually, in several chapters, but there's one chapter in particular where he gets into somewhat of a controversy because he has been talking. There, there's a man called John Thomas who is leading a faction within the, the movement, and basically he is insisting that if you were not immersed for the right reason that you didn't have the right intellectual conclusions in your mind uh, at the time of your immersion, then it's no good you have to to be baptized again. And that's for the remission of sins. And that's not the first time, it's not the only time I should say it's come up in the Stone-Campbell tradition. But Campbell said, you know, there's a a lady from Lunenburg, Virginia. That's the reason it's sometimes called the Lunenburg Letter Controversy, who writes and says, Brother Campbell, I was shocked to see that you call Christians in other groups, that, that you see that there are Christians in other groups. And how does one become a Christian except by being, Immersed, etc. And he says, Well, you know, no other way. But the thing that I want to say, he said to this woman, is that and he goes on quite a long time, a number of articles. And among those things, he says, It is not conforming to any one commandment, even one as, as, as important as baptism. And he was by no means soft on baptism, all right? But he said, The point is not that. It is not conforming to a commandment that makes one a Christian. It is having the face of Christ. It is the face of Christ that the Christian looks for and loves in the other and not conforming to any one commandment, even one as important as baptism. And he even goes on to say things like this, that, um, yes, it's true. No one was called a Christian in the early days except those who were immersed But he said, I don't believe it was because they were immersed. It's because they had put on Christ. And so he can say some of these really, really brilliant, I think, and and, uh, insightful things about what the point is. But to get to the point, I think he sometimes lost sight of the point because it was restoring the ancient gospel in order of things, the way he understood it, that became the point. And so he has this brilliant vision of Christian unity. He has this deep sense that it is being shaped into the image of Christ that is the, the whole goal, the point of Christianity. And yet he, for whatever reason, and all of us all of us have this tendency, he really felt, felt like that he had uh, put this together, and he would actually fight with others over who restored the ancient gospel or the ancient order, one of his closest friends, a major controversy with Walter Scott. And that seems to have sort of overshadowed uh, often. And so I would say that his greatest strengths are the areas of his greatest temptation and become the areas of his greatest weakness.
2: And And here we live with the fruit of a attempt to unify by seeing everything alike. Here we are all of these years later with these different streams and tributaries trying to come back together. Um, fascinating.
1: Hey, I got a question for you. Back in 1990, there was a movie that was created about Campbell and it's called Wrestling with God. Have you seen it?
3: Absolutely, yes.
1: Okay, is that what percentage wise how accurate is that movie
3: well you know when you try to do a dramatic presentation like that you do have to to have some interpretive pieces obviously but the people who put that together it's it's a very interesting story actually um some of the people who put that movie together had not been members of the stone campbell movement at all and they came in contact with the movement and were and were brought to Christ through that movement. And they were so captivated by the, the, the goal, the ideal of Christian unity and simple Christianity that they, they were just captivated. And many of those, I mean, this is a group of actors, professional actors, actually. And there are some, there's one or two top named people in the movie. Uh, the movie itself, I think, is pretty good, but it only goes up to a fairly early part of Campbell's life. Um, he, um, I haven't seen it in some time now, but it ends fairly early, about the time of his first wife's death, and uh, much of his career would be after that. But, but I think that it's, uh, I think it's a very moving movie, and a good movie in many ways, And as he does wrestle with God and struggle with God. And I think that that's the point that they were trying to make: was this is a man who was willing to wrestle with God, <laughs> to struggle, to try to yeah. come up with the truth. And I think it's a, it's a good movie. I, I don't know uh, how many people have seen it these days, but it is worth seeing for sure.
2: Megan, interesting you bring that up. That was a very well-done movie, and I remember seeing it. And I, I remember at the time wondering, how accurate is this? How true is this to, the, to Campbell's life itself? Well, interesting history to that. You know, as we think about Campbell, um, how did Campbell's times You know, both the culture and the religious landscape shape him and his way of reading scripture.
3: Well, he was definitely shaped by certain kinds of, I guess you could say, intellectual or philosophical assumptions. Uh, He's very much shaped by the, his father taught him a lot. He's not homeschooled exactly. He did have some formal schooling. But his father tutored him, and his father was highly educated at seminary trained in Scotland uh, before they came to America. They're Irish. They live in Northern Ireland, but the part of the Presbyterian Church they were part of was uh, centered primarily in Scotland. And so he was trained in this way of thinking called Baconian, common sense realism. Uh, You learn, you come to knowledge by experimentation, I guess you could say. I mean, it sometimes is called, I would call it the scientific method. I learned it in, what, seventh grade science. Mm -hmm. You come up with a a, a problem or a question, you come up with a hypothesis, you experiment, you see what uh, comes up out of the experiments, you compile the data, you continue experimenting until you come up with some sort of with a, uh, some sort of conclusion, or at least the, the no one who actually taught that method would say you ever came to a final conclusion that there were always the possibilities of learning more or altering what the conclusions might be. But the practical end of that very often was not humility. It was, we've got it. This is it. <laughs> Nothing else to learn. And I'm afraid that sometimes that was that was sort of the way it, it, that it operated. And so when Campbell and many others in our movement and other movements too approach uh, these questions of what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be in Christ's church? What does it mean to worship? What does it mean to believe in the atonement? all those questions that you might raise, that could be discovered through this process of, again, the Baconian or scientific method. Now, if you're if you're trying to come up with how you get the the strongest beans, you experiment with beans, and you, you farm and you agriculture you do agriculture and and do different kinds of environmental changes, etc. So what? That's your data. Where are you going to get your data for religious questions? Well, for Protestants, it's the Bible, and so you take the scriptures, and through this careful, serious, meticulous process of for example, if you want to know what what's the truth about the Lord's Supper, you find everything that the New Testament, the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever says about the Lord's Supper. That's your data, that's your experimentation. And then you put this together and you, you come up with the truth on that. Well, it's not a it's not a terrible way of studying in the sense of being serious and pulling things together. But again, The emphasis is on my ability to master the facts of Scripture. And that very way of thinking is based on a notion about the nature of Scripture. The nature of Scripture is it's a book of facts, just like you would have a a computer book or a mathematics book or a book of agriculture, whatever And I don't think that's the nature of Scripture. I'm not saying that Scripture doesn't have facts. It certainly has facts. But the nature of Scripture is not something that we as human beings master. That's the point of mastering it with our intellectual abilities. I hope we do spend time in Scripture and that Scripture becomes part of us. But it's not so we can be proud, so to speak, of mastering the Scripture, but so that God's Spirit through Scripture masters us and transforms us more into the likeness of Christ. And so I think that the influence of Baconian reason is very much on on Campbell's radar, uh, and he talks about it, talks about it a lot. Uh, There are other ways of looking at things. Many of the other religious bodies that Campbell came in contact with, including many of his Baptist brethren during the, the times when Campbell churches were mostly parts of Baptist associations. Many of those folks were Calvinists, and there were others that were Calvinists as well, who had a very different view of the operation of God's Spirit, a, a different view of uh, the New Testament. Well, I, I would, should say it this way. They still they, they had a different view of the nature of the Old Testament's uh, continuing... Hmm, Authority, I guess, would be the best way of saying it. And so he's dealing with a lot of things there, and he believes that the way that he has been taught and has begun to study Scripture is the best way to get past all of these false doctrines. Again, I'm not trying to say that's terrible, that's bad. God has given us intellectual ability. I've been a Uh professor for, you know, 37 years. (laughs) I'm not trying to denigrate using our intellect. I'm, I'm grateful for the gift that God has given us of intellect. But if we believe that our intellect, using our intellect to master Scripture is the, the point, the, the, the goal, and that's what certifies us as a true Christian, I really think that there is a corrosive element that is there that just can make everything come apart make everything unravel. And I think that's partly the reason for the divisions that we are seeing today. I know there's a lot more that could be said there, but I'm going to stop.
2: But boy, it gets at putting our confidence in human reasoning about scripture rather than Christ himself. That's right. That's right.
1: So I got another question for you. Okay. As a historian, because you're fancy with your degrees and I mean you've studied this, right? Um what ways were Campbell and Stone different as far as where they came from Mm. in 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 their faith? And then it's a two part question with their differences, what enabled them to stay unified? Because I think there's gotta be a key there that we can use today
3: Mm. based
1: on that. Or maybe not. I don't know. You tell me.
3: Well, Megan, I think it's a great question. I think it's more complex than a lot of folks have imagined it to be sometimes in the past. Quite frankly, Stone was a very... How to say this? When you look back through church history and you see that there are certain people that, that come to the forefront as great leaders who have great impact on the history of Christianity... I mean people like Martin Luther, John Wesley, uh, you can go on down the line with a, a lot of different folks. These people tend to be very, very sensitive people, people who are I'm not I'm not totally sure of the best terminology to use here, but they they are people who feel deeply. I'm not simply saying they're emotional, but I'm saying that they they have this deep sense of something that is not simply intellectual. Now, now Stone was no, no slouch intellectually either. Okay, uh, he, he knew the languages. He could argue with people, and he and Alexander Campbell. You can read the chapter in the biography of Campbell about the the relationship of Stone, Alexander Campbell had with Barton Stone. And so Stone and you know, he could he could argue, and he could write clear arguments uh, himself. But Stone was very much, I think, more his, his emphasis was more on what Campbell's emphasis was on his better days, but wasn't typical. For example, Barton Stone talks about the fact that he says in this little brilliant short article in the uh, in his uh, in his paper, and it was in the eighteen thirties. I, I could probably pull it off the shelf here in just a minute, but I'm not going to try the. the Christian messenger, he says, I blush for my fellows who hold up the Bible as the bond of union and yet make their opinions of it tests of fellowship. He said, Mm. such anti-sectarian sectarians are doing more mischief to the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel and the unity of Christians than all the skeptics in the world. In fact, they create skeptics. (laughs) Stone really was one of those deeply sensitive, loving people. and you can you can read even religious um, opponents of Stone. When they would write about him at a personal level, they would say he was he was this godly, great man. He, he loved God. I just wish he hadn't taught those things that he taught. They, that's what his <laughs> opponents would say. Well, Alexander Campbell, I don't know. Maybe it's it's sort of the seesaw. One, they they both have some of the other, but Alexander Campbell is definitely more on the intellectual side. Now, there are brilliant pieces of Campbell's life and and writings and thought, and you can see some of those in the biography, where he is he is so emotive, he is so sensitive, and and I think that that's. That's there. But that's not the way he comes across primarily. He comes across primarily as very much intellectual, very much um, convinced that you can, that he has restored the ancient gospel and order of things. And uh, he, he changes. Toward the end of his life, I think, that the Civil War and the things that happened surrounding the falling apart of his vision of America make him sort of fall back on the, the grace of God, whatever God, he said, I thought I knew what God was going to do, but I don't anymore. I just have to have faith in God that God will do what is right. And so when those crises came toward the end of his life, I think he he really reverted more toward that that deep emotion, that deep spiritual, maybe we could use that term, and not use it in a flippant way, but that deep spiritual sense that God is in charge, and that God is the one who has already done the work of salvation through Christ. And so, again, that's a great question, and it could be I could I could give you a three-hour lecture if, if I had time to sit down and outline it. But I think that's what I would say to start off with. Uh, Stone was he said, "Unity is our Polish star." Stone was not as meticulous or um, as, what, what? what's the term I'm looking for? He was not as uh,
2: exacting,
3: Exacting. maybe that's a good term, thank you, as, as Campbell would have been about who he could easily recognize as a Christian. Campbell was certainly willing to say that there are people who are not immersed who are Christians, just like Paul says there are Jews who are not physically circumcised, who are circumcised in the heart. Campbell says, I I think that there are people who have not been physically immersed, but they are immersed in the heart. And so they are Christians. But, um, But I think that Stone had a much, much more expansive view of Christ's church than Campbell did. Campbell said on the issue of baptism, only those who have been immersed can be members of our churches. There may be Christians that are not immersed, but only those who have been immersed can be members of our churches. That's called closed membership. Stone did not practice closed membership in his congregations, and the fact that that Stone died 22 years before Campbell uh, is partly the reason that Campbell's views on a lot of this uh, a lot of these issues became dominant. But, Listen,
1: this has been so interesting. Oh, go ahead. Sorry,
3: I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, to cut you off. I think that that the, the whole idea of the unity of Christians is for both of them so important. But I think for Stone, it was, as he says in one of his famous statements, it is the polar star. It's what orients everything we think of and say and do. And so the Stone and Campbell movements came together, not so much because Alexander Campbell wanted them to, but because there were a lot of people who had caught that vision from both of the movements and who are willing to say, we're going to stick it out with each other, even when we don't agree on everything.
1: Hey, guys, what we're going to do is go ahead and stop part one. This conversation has been so interesting, and I can't wait to continue it. So make sure you tune in next week to catch part two. Kevin, say something to the fine folks.
2: Absolutely. And again, the book is A Life of Alexander Campbell. Um, I hope you'll buy it and read it. Uh, what an informative book and boy, this conversation, Megan, I, I would love to just continue this, uh, and, until we exhaust everything because it's such a fascinating, uh, discussion, but we're going to be back, uh, next week with another installment. We're going to be talking about some different areas of unity, racial unity with, uh, Doug Foster. So, uh, join me and Megan and Doug Foster next week for Common Grounds Unity.
1: See you in seven days.
0: Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast with Megan and Kevin. Please check out commongroundunity.org to learn more about who we are. There are plenty of resources, and you can subscribe to the weekly email articles, join the Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. We've also provided a link in the show notes for comments. You can ask questions or suggest topics and guests. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that too through the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.